Lord, help us to sing hallelujah with our lives and not just our voices. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Hey, uh, in case you didn't know, this is Anthony Amore, and uh, Anthony is married to Jessica Amore, who's coming up here, and they have three wonderful children uh, sitting back here, uh, uh, Ali, Masami, and Elise, who's probably downstairs, and we're really grateful for them. You know, uh, a little while ago, Vince said that he was moving full-time into his uh, counseling program, and so uh, we got together as a board and hired Anthony as our interim uh, worship leader, and hopefully interim part of it will be gone uh, before too long. Uh, Anthony is going to be leading us um, in the near future and hopefully for a long time. Um, This summer, however, Anthony is going to be gone quite a bit with some previous commitments, but he'll be leading behind the scenes, and Wills will be uh, helping him, and some others on our worship team will be helping him, so you can be praying for them. I'm really, uh, really grateful for them. Um, out of the entire country of Germany, which I looked in the atlas, I think it's like 80 million people or so, they were the most faithful attenders of the sanctuary, Denver. And so uh, Anthony, um, and yeah, that's probably, I think that's, I'm pretty sure about that. Um, but Anthony's and Jessica have been part of the church actually for quite a long time, uh, worshiping online. They, Anthony's also, they're working with Cadence Ministries, which we know some about because um, Dick and Marietta are part of C- Cadence, you may remember, and Duncan and Angie and uh, Paul Bradley. So anyway, I asked Anthony if he would uh, speak this morning so that we'd get to know a little bit more of their story um, and also at the same time hear a Palm Sunday message and what God is saying to us. So maybe I can just pray for for you, all right, and then uh, well, you can take it away. Uh, well, you've kind of been doing everything already. I mean, the leading worship and now speaking—that's a whole lot. So, yeah, thank that, you. That needs to stop. Yeah, that should stop. Okay. So, yeah. So, Father, thank you so much for Anthony and Jessica. I thank you for the worship team. Thank you for Wills. I thank you for all those that will be helping out in the near future and in the long run. Father, I pray for Anthony uh, and Jessica that, um, Lord, you would use him. So we set him apart. Um, we ask that he would be anointed for this purpose of leading us into your presence. And, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you have to say to us through Anthony and Jessica, both with words and with music, and that, Lord, we would um, all love you more because of the connection that you make here. So, Lord, thank you for Anthony and Jessica. We bless them. We open our hearts uh, to your word through them, and we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. So, real quick, I just need to cut a couple dumb jokes out of the way. Okay. Uh, that way, we can focus a little more. Yes, I was the fuzzy guy that you saw in previous weeks. Uh, so, um, and then, two, I don't know what this Paul guy's doing, uh, trying to claim the whole chief of sinners. He had his time. I don't know why he's coming back this Sunday to take that over again, because some of us are vying for that position. I don't know how the rest of you feel, but anyways. All right, there's the, the dumb jokes. No self-deprecation. We're, we're good. It sounds good. All right. <laughs> we'll throw it down on, on April. All right, I'll be quiet now. All right, so... Um, <laughs> We're going to be in Matthew 21 this morning, so let me just read um, for you the passage. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put put their cloaks on it, and he sat on them. 
Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So this passage is what is often read on Palm Sunday um, and is called the triumphant entry. And I was um, reading over it in preparation and I thought, what is so triumphant about it? Because he gets into the city and I think if I was a Jew at the time, my expectations would be like a great conquest. He's conquering and taking Jerusalem, like here's our Messiah and he's come and we've been expecting him. And with the, with the, um, the knowledge of the um, prophecies is a lot of expectation. Expectation that can be backed up by scripture even. And I find I have a lot of expectations in my life of what God's going to do and how he's going to work and how he's going to use me. And a lot of times his intentions don't quite meet my expectations. And so when I look at this, I think, what is so triumphant about the triumphal entry? Because he came on a donkey and he didn't really take anything over in my expectation, how I would do it. Um, I grew up a pastor's kid in um, a ministry home in Ohio. Um, in my childhood, and our whole life revolved around the church. Um, All of our friends, um, my dad was at the church most of the time, and um, our lives really revolved around it. And when I was about 12 years old, just going into middle school, my parents got divorced. And literally overnight, our lives changed suddenly there just wasn't a place for us in the church. We didn't really fit. Um, Our whole community and friends kind of abandoned us. And, um, you know, as a 12-year-old, I felt really angry at God. Like, we had given our lives to his ministry. Like, he owed us. Um, How could he let this happen and let let our lives fall apart like this? so that was kind of the, the beginning of my faith journey. So uh, to continue with mine, we're going to go back and start working through uh, the passage. So uh, if you're following along, go back to verse 1. So when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth uh, Page, however you pronounce that, uh, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Okay, so let's, let's put ourselves in the position here. We're going to listen to Jesus, go to some random house that we don't know. There's going to be a donkey and a colt there, and we're going to take them. And if anybody asks us why we're going to say, the Lord needs this. Okay? Are you all tracking? Is there an awkward silence because you feel awkward now about having to take someone's donkey and colt and you're doing it because the Lord needs it? Uh, Like, it's just a weird, weird thought. Uh, In that culture, there's a very heavy... Uh, belief and underlying philosophy, way of life, however you want to say it, of hospitality, okay? So there may be certain allowances that if someone comes up to your house and requires the use of your donkey, maybe you, okay, sure, uh, you know, bring it back sometime or something, or, hey, what are you doing? Uh, Well, the Lord needs this. Oh, the Lord needs it. Okay. Like, can you imagine doing that type of thing now-a-days? Like, you walk onto a lawn and you risk getting shot. At least that's my understanding of what it's like in this country. Because uh, I've actually have lived less than half of my life inside the U.S. So the major portion of it was before I was nine years old. So 
most of my unconscious years were in the US and then most of my conscious years were outside. So culture is really interesting for me. Uh, you don't do certain things on the road because people might shoot you. Uh, most of my fears revolve around guns and getting shot uh, coming into the US. Um, so there's a certain aspect of like, okay, what is going on with this bad? Like, I'm just going to go. Jesus told me to do something. Fine. I listen to Jesus. I'm going to do that. Somebody asks, the Lord needs it. Okay, sweet. So whether that's a miraculous thing or the culture thing, whatever it is, you're just trusting what Jesus is telling you to do, despite what other people are going to say or do or whatever. Um, and I kind of feel like that's, that's kind of been my life. I've bounced around a lot. So I'm a military brat. Uh, go Navy, beat Army. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I'm a military brat. I, my entire life has been around military communities. Um, and, and especially growing up in Japan. So the first nine years of my life bounced around uh, as is typical military fashion. My mom was in the military, so we had to move around a lot to follow her. And uh, when I was about seven years old, my mom was like, well, I've got orders to go to Texas. And uh, I overheard this conversation. It's one of the first conscious conversations I heard between my parents, uh, or vividly remember, I should say. Uh, but my dad's response was, uh, well, I'm not going. Uh, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. There were other things going on that I wasn't privy to at the time. But for all intents and purposes, we were moving, and my dad was not. All right, cool. Uh, single mom life. I get to, my mom did an awesome job at that. Uh, working full-time in the military, raising me by herself. And then uh, when we're in Texas, she's like, hey, I've got orders to go to Japan. How does that sound? And I'm like, sweet, let's do it. So we go, we go to Japan, and I'm there for about eight years. <clears throat> Now, the, the thing is, is that in this part of my life, like, I, I was okay with the moving. It wasn't that big deal. It was kind of along for the ride, uh, experiencing different states and different cultures. Uh, but I wasn't, like, close to the Lord or anything. I just did what my mom told me to do. I did what the military told her to do, told me to do, that kind of thing. And just, again, along for the ride. Uh, and my mom was kind of the same way. We both weren't close to the Lord at all. I didn't even really know him. Uh, and... But when we moved to Japan, that move was, as a phrase some of my friends and I like to, it was probable providence. Uh, God is providential, but we look at things sometimes, and again, it's our expectations. We uh, are like, is this what was supposed to happen, or did this just, is this just probability? Like, uh, so moving to Japan was God's way of getting me into other cultures and really getting me in, unstable enough to, to realize that I needed him. Uh, and, and my mom was in a very similar place, just being divorced, moving overseas, uh, dealing with military struggles, dealing with family issues. Uh, and really one of the things that linked her in was Cadence International. Uh, so over in Japan, there's a hospitality house. And for those of you that don't know, hospitality house ministry with Cadence International, it's basically missionaries live overseas close to military bases. They have a home. They open that home and they feed. Uh, they invite you to be a part of family. They have fun with you. They live life with you. Uh, it's the whole mission of Cadence is to share the gospel and our lives with military people. Um, and so that's really what hospitality is. They are like the front line. Uh, and I'm glad that they were there because they hooked my mom in. They brought my mom uh, back towards the Lord, towards more life, towards uh, uh, choices and a lifestyle that would build the kingdom of heaven, really, and, and display what that is. Uh, and so she started growing closer to the Lord through the house ministry. Uh, and when I was finally old enough, uh, so I, I got there, I was nine years old in Japan. When I was 12, I was old enough to go into the youth group finally. Woohoo! Uh, I get to torment adults that don't, aren't related to me. Um, I, uh, Cadence International had just gotten a youth ministry over there. The year, like the summer, again, that probable providence thing, the summer that I was able to go into to youth ministry, if the world is focused around me, uh, they brought a Cadence student ministries there. Uh, and it was at the base of Mount Fuji that I actually um, heard about the personal relationship that God wanted uh, with me, heard about the life that he wanted to build in me, uh, and then the life that I could bring to those around me. And so uh, just really in the whole switching of cultures, moving around, God was there and providing a way for me to get to know him and experience him, especially through cadence. Uh, <clears throat> Let's see where are we at. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to take us through us meeting each other because this is, again, just the, the concept of um, 
Cadence also discipled me for the next five years through a guy named Dave Lambert. Uh, he was there for five years in a military community. I was there for eight, so it's really weird. All of my friends kept moving. I had to still experience those type of things, but we stayed in one place, and so I was able to be discipled, and I asked my youth pastor, I was like, hey, you know what? Uh, I think I really want to come back and work with military people, especially the teenagers. What do I do? He said, go to Multnomah uh, out in Portland, Oregon, study youth ministry under Steve Patty, uh, really great guy, and, uh, and then come back and join Cadence. And it was there that there were a couple of major things that happened. One, uh, I got to meet Jessica within the first couple weeks uh, of being there. We started dating before any of our friends at Multnomah, and then we were the last ones to get married. I'm not bitter about that at all, uh, but it, it was awesome to go there and meet her um, and, and find someone that had a very similar uh, idea in life of wanting to minister to people and love people well. Uh, but another thing that, that I realized was I am not American. It, I am really weird. Like, uh, and if you ever heard the word third culture kid, uh, third culture person, TCKs, that's really what I am because I would just look around everybody and be like, what is everybody's problem? Like they're doing like, all these weird things not really, I'm really the one who's weird uh, and out of place. And one of the things that I used to say all the time, uh, I would just be like, man, uh, and bear in mind, this is as a teenager, I don't say this anymore, not out loud at least, uh, is man, Americans are so stupid. And I would say this to Jessica, we're dating, and she would reply, you know you're an American, right? So, anyways, a little, little dose of reality and stuff. Again, I don't think that now. I love everybody, okay? It's uh, we're the, the kingdom of God. Please don't hurt me. Um, but anyways, uh, so as you can see, like culture plays a huge part into our understanding. It plays a huge part into how we interact and relate with each other. And, and so I just, yeah, that, that passage is just like, what is going on there? But this is the place that we're in. So on uh, verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. I don't know why, but I haven't really always quite paid attention to the humble part. Anybody else in that boat? Like, you read that prophecy, you kind of just immediately go, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, it's awesome, this is Jesus, bam, he's right here, he's, he's going to take care of everything, and you get in the mentality, especially if you spend time in the Old Testament, of all the, you know, you've got the, all the narratives of the different, like, crazy things that are happening, a lot of them, pretty violent, uh, and then you're like, yeah, we're waiting for our king, and we're waiting for someone to take care of the Romans and the rest of the world, and boom, it's Jesus, and, and then we kind of skip over the part that it says, your king is coming to you humble. Some of your translations might say gently. And then I think of the passage, like, Jesus is so gentle, like, he does, not even a bruised reed does he break. Not even the most weakest thing is Jesus rough enough with that it would be hurt. And, and he comes in, like Peter was saying, not on a war horse. And actually, I know we're in course country, but Clydesdales always come to mind too. Those are big burly-looking, uh, formidable horses, but he comes in on uh, a somewhat practical but a pretty uh, lowly animal on a donkey. Like, most people, unless you're going down in the Grand Canyon or you're having to carry a lot of stuff and you really don't care about the animal, you don't usually choose a donkey. Uh, but that's how our king is coming to us. That's how our savior is coming. And so often we have experiences in our lives when we expect him to come with great power, he comes gently and quietly into our lives. And um, so those years of brokenness through high school and dealing with my parents' divorce and remarriages and stepfamilies and all of those things, he just slowly and quietly nurtured my heart um, and um, gave me a call to ministry. And so I went to Multnomah Bible College in Portland, Oregon, where we met. And um, I knew I wanted to do ministry, but I wasn't sure what it looked like. And when I met Anthony, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. So I said, okay, let's go do it. And um, so we went to Germany um, in 2005. We arrived in Germany to do youth ministry with military kids. 
And um, it was great. It was a challenge. It was really hard um, learning to be that far away from family and um, learning for me, military culture and community was totally a new thing for me. Um, so it was stretching in so many ways. Um, we were there just a, a couple years when we started our family, um, both Alethea, Ali, and Masami, our two oldest, were born in Germany um, during that time. And so figuring out that from so far away from family. And, um, but it was really good. We had a great ministry partner, a gal who we worked with. And um, right around year nine, we were really hitting our stride. I mean, it was just, it was going really good. Youth group was, more and more kids were coming. Um, and we really felt God moving. We had just been on a spring break trip with high school kids. Several of them had um, given their lives to the Lord, and it was just a really exciting time. Um, and it was right in that moment that um, the Lord gave us a big U-turn. And due to military logistics, and that I won't get all into, but um, we were there on a special contract that was um, redefined and essentially kicked us out of country. So we, we went from nine years of building this ministry and thinking, we're gonna raise our kids here, we're gonna be here forever. Like, God's moving, clearly this is what he has for us. And then all of a sudden, you know, we had three months to get out of country. And um, we had, we, for the second time in my life, I was struggling with, Lord, I, like our life revolved around ministry for you. Like, don't you owe it to us to let us do this? I mean, I thought we were doing this for you. And he, he stripped me clean of everything, um, and particularly my identity, because I did not realize how much of my identity had gotten wrapped up in the doing for him. And, um, I was really had to face with, um, God asked me the question, if he took everything away, is he enough? Is he enough for me, really? And um, when he doesn't meet my expectations, is that okay? Do I trust him enough to just keep moving forward? Um, and so I, I, w I just found ourselves in this really hard, dark place. We didn't know where we were going and what was next. Um, so if we go back to the passage, Matthew 21, 6, starting in verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, up, put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Um, so the disciples did what Jesus had directed them, and I'm sure there was a lot of expectation about what this moment is gonna be like, him entering Jerusalem, like coming with power. And um, I would guess that most of their expectations were not really met in what came next and what actually happened in the following week. Um, he didn't come with an army. He came with his ragtag team of disciples from all different walks of lives with a lot of failure and um, breaking all of our expectations of what we wanted to happen. And uh, the other group that was there, the crowd, uh, so we have like some insight into them from other passages of why they were there, because uh, in Matthew, it's just, you know, the crowds came and they did this, they're setting out a, basically like rolling out the red carpet kind of thing, usher the king in, uh, but a lot of the crowds, like they were there because they'd heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead, so like, Ooh, let's go, let's go see the guy who raises people from the dead. Uh, and I don't know if any of you are fans of Rowan Atkinson. I highly recommend this uh, one act that he does. It's called And Now from Nazareth, The Amazing. And, and it really just focuses, the whole point is a satire on the idea of, uh, which really is uh, true, we kind of expect Jesus to be this magician. Uh, we expect him to be this amazing conjurer of tricks or uh, this genie who does all these things for us. So, yeah, I heard some dude got raised from the dead by Jesus, by Yahweh saves. Uh, I'm going to go check that out. And so they get there and they're like, oh, there he is. This is awesome. He's going to do some great things. Uh, and, and they're wanting to see what he's going to do, not really knowing that they're about to be severely disappointed and then turn on him. Uh, and, and we even know, like, Herod, the, the head guy who eventually Jesus gets passed off to, uh, to receive his sentencing and stuff, 
Like, even he, Scripture tells us, is wanting to meet Jesus in person. He wants to see him because he wants to see what Jesus can do. He's heard so many things. And so that's really, you have the crowd there because they're wanting Jesus to perform for them. They're expecting Jesus to do something for them in their own way. Like, and, and it's not even the right thing that they're expecting. Like, if a guy named Yahweh Saves comes into town, then the expectation is Yahweh is going to save. But how I think Yahweh is going to save and is going to do this is just completely, well, first of all, I want him to save me. I don't necessarily want him to save the rest of you. Uh, I'm, that's kind of how we operate. Uh, you don't have to nod or can, you know, self-incriminate or whatever, but I'm just going to assume that's true about the rest of us. When we get tired, when we get stressed, we get to a place where uh, really I care more about Jesus saving me and my family and my tribe versus the rest of you. Uh, that's, anyways, I, I'm not going to go down that bunny trail, but you're tracking with me. Just the expectations uh, are going on. The, the crowd is expecting Jesus to perform signs. They're wanting to see something from him to prove something. Uh, and, and for me, you know, Jesus just doesn't do that. I think of the verse, the, a wicked and adulterous generation demands a sign, but none will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. And it's like, well, okay, well, what does that mean? you know, uh, which most of the people are confused as by most of what Jesus says, uh, it seems like. But the idea of, hey, uh, I'm going to be in death for three days, and then I'm going to come back out uh, with life and a message of redemption for everyone around me. Um, and, but people, they're not getting that. It's like, no, I want to see you do the raising the dead trick. Um, so, but what we don't realize is really Jesus is the sign. They're seeing the sign right there. He's coming into town. They just need to look at him and be with him. So as we left Germany, um, we didn't really know where to go or what was next. Um, we ended up living in my mom's basement for, um, for quite a while. There were 10 of us living in, the, in a three-bedroom house. So you can imagine how fun that was. There, was, there wasn't a bedroom for our kids. Um, they were sleeping on the floor. And... Um, I, we, how could this be part of God's plan? Like for us in ministry, like this is what he called us to? Yeah, like we were, we were kicked back to the States, living rent-free. I did enjoy that part, and it was on Cape Cod. So, you know, can't complain too, can't much. Complain too much, but we were complaining still. Uh, but the last thing that we had heard from Cadence even, like in terms of our job as missionaries, like those fun type of people, uh, was you are without assignment. <laughs> Like, that was our directive, okay? Uh, so imagine we're having a thriving ministry after nine years. Kids are asking great questions. We're engaging with them. Uh, things are just going well. They have a place that they belong. And then we get kicked out of Germany. Our entire field, by the way, uh, youth ministry division of Cadence in Europe, is kicked out of the field. Uh, and Cadence is trying to figure out, okay, well, where are we sending the Amores next? I was really hoping for Japan because, you know, you always want to kind of go back home idea. Uh, for some reason, it just never works out. Um, the last thing they said to us, you are without assignment. So what do missionaries do when they don't have people to minister to and make disciples that way? They make disciples the traditional way, as Adam and Eve made the first disciples. So that's when Elise was born. Um, so if you don't give missionaries enough to do, then children will start popping out. Uh, anyway, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's appropriate to say. Sorry, Peter. Um, but anyway, so we, like, seriously, this is the state that we're in. Like, we are, like, traumatized by an experience. We're depressed because uh, our, uh, our purpose is, what is that? What are we doing? Uh, but... On the other side of that, uh, we started to get into a place where we had time and we had space to actually, like, in the fray of ministry, we just kept going, going, going. We're just doing a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and in the midst of that, you kind of lose yourself and lose the point at times. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, we lost the plot and God putting us there with nothing to do other than typical like raise support, those type of things that missionaries do in between. But we didn't have what we felt like was a purpose or a ministry, but we did have space and time. And we were able to utilize that and kind of grow physically and emotionally in that time. Um, for the first time, we, were, we had like space to really dream about what the future could look like. You know, we had gone to Bible college and gone with Cadence and 
be wherever Cadence wants us to be. And now, uh, for the first time, like the Lord gave us the gift of being able to dream together about what our future might look like, what he might be calling us into and gifting us for. And um, Lots of walks on the beach, talking yep. to each other. Again, wasn't all bad. <laughs> um, it was, he gave us gifts of grace that we would never have known to ask for. And in his, um, his good intentions for us, uh, he had to take some things away that we couldn't understand um, until we were there. And, and the more I sought the Lord and asked the question, so what's next? What do you want us to do next? You know, um, the more the answer came that he was so much more concerned about my heart and where that was than he was about what I did. And in a lot of ways, he was like, do, do whatever, go, go do, but be in my love. And um, to, in, in Matthew, or in John, sorry, John 15 is the vine and the branches, and the message version says, make yourself at home in my love. And I love that because I feel like he gave us the space to start figuring out what that really looks like, how to be at home in his love. And once we're comfortable there, then we can move out into the world um, from that place of love. Um, so he eventually um, led us to s still remain in cadence, but switch from youth ministry to house ministry, which um, Anthony kind of described before with his mom, the hospitality ministry, which ministers to families in military. And um, we, we had just been like thinking about it and like, okay, Lord, is this what you have for us? We're not sure. And we had gone to a staff conference and um, another missionary couple that we knew of, but we didn't really know well, came right up to us on the first day of conference and was like, we really want to talk to you and get a meal with you. We want to talk to you about doing ministry at the Graf House which is a hospitality house back in Germany. And we had not told anybody that we were considering switching from youth ministry. So we're like, who have you been talking to? Holy Spirit, apparently. Um, and so they, they spent all, all the whole meal selling us on the Graf House ministry and what a great community it was. And by the end, we we're like, great, sold. Like, that's where we're gonna go. From you are without assignment to, hey, let's tell you what you're gonna do. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Let me tell you what it is. Um, and we were excited. So we kind of took the first step in that, which was to tell the boss of that division, uh, hey, we're interested in doing adult ministry. And he said, great, I don't have a place for you. So you could do hospitality ministry, but I don't know where I'm going to put you. And we were actually kind of talking about this in the staff meeting, the bridge analogy. And I don't know if you've all have seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I'm going to refer to that. I'm not going to show you a clip though, okay? Uh, sorry. Um, and then for those of you who have seen Pixar's Onward, uh, it, so I would love to have the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade bridge experience where we take a step and tell the boss of hospitality ministry, hey, we want to do this. Is there a place for us? And he says, yes, we want you. And here's where the next step is. You do this. And that's kind of, you know, uh, Harrison Ford, he takes a, finally takes a step out and he's like, and then he can see it and it's there. It's like, great. That's what we all want, right? We all want to take that first step and then the rest of the path is laid out before us. Uh, in my experience with the Lord, it's more like Onward, uh, which is an awesome Pixar movie about brotherhood. It makes me cry uh, every time. Anyways, uh, his bridge analogy is he has to cast a spell to make a bridge, but it's not there until he steps on it. And then even when he steps on it, it's still not visible. So he just has to keep making steps out into something he can't see and into the unknown. Uh, sorry for the frozen reference. But the, like, that's what, that's what I felt like our step was. We, we made a step towards something it seemed like God was calling us to. We have this couple telling us to do house ministry, and then we take a step, and still the bridge is not there. We haven't fallen, luckily, but, but we still don't know, okay, so does the bridge go to the side or whatever. Anyways, it's just really confusing, and I think that kind of leads us into verse 9 where the crowds are. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. 
So、um, it took about seven months before we actually got our assignment to Grafenwehr, Germany, which. The Lord had told us seven months before, but we needed to just walk in it in faith for those seven months. And I,、um, and then when we finally got it, then we were like this crowd celebrating. Yes, Lord, thank you. And we, so we went into, went back to Germany, which felt like home.、Um, our kids, you know, were used to German culture and German school, and、um, we were. We were with great expectation. The Lord is calling us back in. It was our triumphal entry back to Germany and ministry. You see where we're going now. And then it, for some reason, even though we devote our whole life to ministry and loving people and stuff, it can't just be easy. Like we get there, apparently talking to adults is different than talking to teenagers. So there's a learning curve in which. Adults are actually here at the house because they want to know more about scriptures and they want to dive deeper. Whereas in teens, didn't want that. They just wanted a place to hang out, people to love them unconditionally, and to hear about Jesus and the cool things he did. These adults wanted more, so I had to learn how to actually speak in front of adults. It was really weird、uh, and awkward at times.、Uh, we had to manage a property because that's what house ministry is. Basically, Cadence rents or owns that property, and then we open it up and stuff. Uh, and I, I've lived in apartment as a military brat. I've lived in apartments my entire life. We don't have lawns,、uh, and it's in Japan, so it's even worse. If you're from New York City, imagine I would assume it'd be something like that.、Uh, and so I'm having to learn how to be a property manager on top of doing normal ministry stuff. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for this, although I really did.、Um, and then raising our third culture kids who、uh, were born in Germany, have been in the German system the whole time, but they look like Americans. They have accents.、Uh, well, our, except our kids actually have perfect German accents, but whatever.、Uh, but They still stand out culturally from the Germans, so they're not accepted by either of either of the cultures. They don't get to hang out with the American kids enough, and they don't get accepted by the German kids.、So、they're living in this awkward third place,、uh, and it's like, how is this a part of your plan, Lord? So we、uh, we had six solid months of a hard learning curve of transitioning and figuring figuring life out again.、Um, and around that time, then opposition grew up inside of our ministry. There was some people who were pretty core in like leadership、um, prior to when we got there that really opposed our message of God's inclusive love and、um, had a hard time with it and caused a lot of. Heartache and、um, division and struggle within our ministry, and、um, the blessing and the curse of military people are that they leave. So, <laughs>、um, so as we worked through the struggle and and the division that rose up, it it did pass、um, eventually, and、um, just as we were like, okay, like we we're we're going strong, we finally got kind of the learning curve down. We've got these these people who are being kind of ugly have moved on,、um, and it was at that moment that、um, Anthony went to the hospital with. Heart attack-like symptoms, and、um, he had a virus that had gone to his heart, and it was very, very serious. And he was in the hospital for five days. And、um, the result of that was that he was taken out of ministry pretty hardcore for、um, the better part of a year. And so now we're trying to run this very busy full ministry、um, with Anthony down and.、Um, This was not the triumphal entry that I expected. I mean, we were like at the height of it、um, after nine years of youth ministry, and then we came back in. It was just we just felt so low. So again, the question: What makes the triumphal entry so triumphant? Because I don't know if you guys have been tracking and have been able to relate at different points. This is how most of us feel: like we get some traction, and then we get sidelined or. The carpet pulled out from under us, or things just don't go quite the way we we want. Usually, when we lose our focus, and the thing that makes a triumphal entry so triumphant is God, like Himself, God as a person, our connection with Him, our relationship. That's what makes it so triumphant. When we were when when I was taken out of ministry, when we as a team were taken out of ministry at the house with heart problems. We had about 18 people in our community step up to be our leadership team and start running with the things that were already done. Had I not been taken out of the equation, it might have still been the Anthony and Jessica show.、Uh, that may have gone slower. 
but because we were on God's plan and expectations and intentions, things went so much better. It was painful, and I don't necessarily like how he did it, but, but it was good. The problem is, and I feel like this just goes back to the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Knowledge, we are so full of ourselves. We take from the Tree of Knowledge, Tree of Good and Evil, and we get some of it, and we think, oh, we know this stuff. We're, we're just so powerful now. And, and God's like, you're missing the point. Like, you don't need the knowledge. You just needed to hang out with me in the garden here and keep eating from the tree of life. Keep living eternally and enjoying that fruit, not try to take knowledge for yourself and then think you can do it on your own without me. And so really the problem is, is we just, we just think we can do it better. We, can think we, we think we can do it better than God. Uh, another problem with that is uh, at one moment we think we know one thing and the next moment we know something else. Like we are so fickle and changing people. Uh, I don't know about you, but I barely know myself, uh, which is part of the problem that I'm having. And uh, luckily at the end of this month, I get to go spend three weeks uh, at an intensive counseling program to kind of work some of that stuff out and figure those things. I highly recommend it. I haven't been there yet, but you know, you should do that. Um, but I think I think the, the idea of really getting ourselves out of the way and our expectations out of the way, because really when we set expectations, we're only creating a chance for us to be disappointed. Uh, and it, when it's our expectations and not really what God's expectations are. And so a lot of times we live in that disappointment. And so what do we do with that? And we look to Isaiah 55, uh, that passage we talked about at the beginning. So I'm going to start reading from that, from verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that they may have compassion on him and are on them and to our God for God will abundantly pardon. There's some translations that that phrase that as like his, his grace is abounding or his, his, there's so much of his grace. For my thoughts, God's thoughts, are not your thoughts, our thoughts. Neither are God's ways our ways, declares the Lord. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I, I feel like I think really well. <laughs> Uh, I like how I think. It's one of the reasons I think the way that I do. Um, I don't know why God doesn't get on board with that. Um, but clearly he tells us that his thoughts are somehow better and higher and they're just more. And so I guess going with that, I guess he's It really wasn't our weakest moment that the Lord built his kingdom in our ministry. And um, like Anthony referred to, like he, he raised up leaders that maybe wouldn't have been raised up if we had been running the show. Um, he, he, he brought a community together. Um, like it's not our inclination to ask for help. And so, but we were in a position we, had, we needed it, we had to. And so in that, like an awesome community um, got built around him and what he was doing. And, um, and our ministry uh, grew both in numbers, but also in depth. Um, people were trusting the Lord more deeply. They were um, um, knowing him close, more closely and knowing his love. And um, the reality of our ministry in Graff House was, was completely built in our weakness to glorify him. And um, eventually the Lord called us out of there and brought us here to Colorado about a year and a half ago. Um, we are now working at headquarters for Cadence. So we're still with Cadence. Um, Anthony is doing some recruiting, mobilization, and I'm coaching new missionaries, which is really fun. And um, as, we, as I was praying about it, because once again, I, I wasn't quite ready to leave. Um, things were finally going so well. And um, I was like, Lord, really, you're going to pull us out again? And he just, he just gave me this vision, whereas when we left before, um, we left in utter darkness. Like, we really couldn't see anything ahead. Like, we didn't know. Uh, we just had to trust him because um, we didn't know what was ahead. And this time, I still couldn't see. I felt blinded. But 
I, it was like、um, when you're driving into like, the sun and you can't see because of the light, and that's the vision that the Lord gave me is that I'm, I'm bringing you into light, into what I'm calling you to, and the things I'm doing through you and in you. And、um, it still required trust and blindness, but it was a really different kind.、Um, and so, as hard as this transition's been, I've had to cling to that promise from the Lord that He is. Leading me into light, even though all of my expectations are broken and my plans don't work out,、um, his are firm and I can count on them even when I don't know what they are. And so, like good Americans, at the end of a message, what's, what do we do? What's the plan? Where do we go from here? Because that's really, we're going to ask ourselves that, right? It doesn't matter how much we say, it's not about. <laughs> The plan. It's about trusting God and following Him. And, and even there's an aspect of there's nothing that disciples could have done in that situation other than just whatever Jesus told them. They just had to stay close. So, what do we, but, but really, we want to know what to do. You get asked that question a lot, Peter, right? So, how far is too far? What's the limit? What do I, anyways? So, we're going to answer that. We're going to go back to Isaiah、uh, 55. We're going to start in verse 10, though, and this is what we do. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So we go out in joy.、Um, referring back to the John 15 passage I men- mentioned earlier about making our home in God's love. Later in verse 11, it says, When you make your home in his love, then your joy will be complete. It'll be mature.、Um, and I think that's what God has for us is a complete and mature joy. And the only way to find that is to make our home in his love. So often we get caught up in our expectations、um, of how God's going to execute his plan, the how, right? That we miss him completely. Uh, we end up dwelling in our disappointment and our disillusionment and our bitterness,、um, and we become really discontent in life.、Um, but instead, when we realize that God didn't live up to our expectations and we're disappointed,、um, when we lean into that struggle, it doesn't make it easier, it doesn't make it go away, and God doesn't want us to pretend it's not there. We, we give it to Him, we lean into it, we lean into the sorrow, we grieve, and we find His love、um, as He comforts us through it and as He. Shows us we can trust him. And when we dwell there in his love, that's where we find our peace and our joy. God does have a wonderful plan for your life, and that is that you will live wholly trusting in his love for you. And the way that we can do that, that we can live wholly in his love and trust in him, is because of what he did that was completely unexpected. I. And, and I love the whole concept of his, as Jess said, his ragtag group of followers that they're sitting around with him at a dinner, celebrating a meal, a Passover meal, of celebrating what God has done to deliver the nation of Israel. And he's reframing it. And he's reframing it before they even have a framework to work in. Like they still, to. Uh, for the most part, don't have any context for what he's doing by saying the, the things at the table that he says. So, sorry, I'm going to realize I can't hold this at the same time. So, again, the disciples somewhat clueless. They sit with Jesus, and Jesus takes a piece of bread. And he says, This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you take this bread and eat it, do it in remembrance of me.
And then he takes the cup, a cup of wine, and he says, this is my blood in the new covenant. My blood that was shed, or will be shed, for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink this, and as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And it's not some crazy scheme or plan. It's just the idea of being with God, being at a table, eating food with people, remembering the Lord, remembering the things that he's done. And probably a lot of those stories is, how crazy is that? How crazy is it that God would become flesh and give of himself in such a way to bring all of us back into relationship with him? It's as crazy as him asking us to do it again. Just trust him, be in relationship with him, and give of ourselves, break our flesh, pour out our blood for loving those around us and wanting to help them experience complete joy in him. So I invite you to come up. And... You got your palms waving. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. 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 Hosanna in the highest. Thank you so much, guys, for helping us. Was, was it fun or awkward or both? Sweet. L- live in the gray. All right, cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I should give you guys a benediction. Um, actually, we're new here, my wife and I, but I think there's a phrase that you guys get said a lot or that gets said to you a lot. And what is that? Believe the gospel. Anything else? Amen. All right. Love you guys. Believe the gospel and love each other.